Hey, do you remember the first of the service when I told you that um, God is good all the time? Do you remember that? Still true. Did you sense the love and the presence and the power of God moving among us just now? When, when, you, were, when you were just lifting up that simple prayer, did you have the sense that God was doing something, even in you and for you, that God was, was hearing that prayer and answering that prayer, that, that you are safe in his arms? That's... God is good all the time. God is good all the time. Life is hard. Life stinks a lot of the time. Uh, But God is good. Uh, We are weak and we fail. God never fails. He never gives up on us. He never turns his back on us. And when we trip, he's right there. There's a a, promise in Psalm 37 uh, where it says, I've I've never seen the righteous forsaken uh, or his children begging bread. Even when he trips and falls. What does it say? The Lord is holding on to his hand. Remember when your kids were little and you were like, or you're walking with a little kid uh, crossing the street. Um, what do you do? You're like, you, 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 you hold him by the wrist, first of all. <laughs> you're clamping down so that even if they try to run off, even if they trip and fall over, that's right. And sometimes they're technically, especially if you're in a hurry, their feet aren't really even touching the pavement anyhow. It's just like, come on, we've got to get... Uh, even if he should stumble, he does not fall headlong. I think that's what it says. He does not fall headlong because the Lord is holding on to his hand. It doesn't say you are holding on to the Lord's hand. It says the Lord is holding on to your hand. What we were experiencing in in that time of worship just then was the Lord holding on to our hands, saying, don't freak out. I've got you. I've got you. Okay, I'd like to call on our our, our resident uh, Latin scholars to read me the, the title of today's sermon. That's right. You, you conquer. In this sign, conquer. In this, so who wants to tell me the story about this phrase? You're going to make me do all the work? Nobody knows the story behind this phrase? <laughs> no, I, well, I, I've never been into an actual pawn shop, so I didn't know that at pawn shops they use Latin uh, in all of their signs. Oh, in hoc, I see. I, so, in this sign, conquer. Well, uh, here, does this help? 
So here's the story. After Constantine, uh, his father was the emperor, and then his father died. And while everybody kind of assumed that Constantine, who was a general in the army, uh, would ascend to being the emperor of Rome, this was 306, something like that, uh, everybody assumed that Constantine would ascend to the, the emperor's throne. Not everybody was like down with that. And so there was the beginning of a civil war. And this other general whose name starts with an M and is really long and complicated to pronounce, so I'm just not going to try, uh, had uh, an army, pulled together an army like twice as big as the army that Constantine had. And they kind of called him out. Uh, I can't remember where the river was. It seemed like it was up in the northern part of Europe, but they, had, they, they threw down. <coughs> and uh, a couple of days before the battle, Constantine got a dream in which he saw these two Latin letters superimposed on each other. The X is chi, and the P-looking thing is rho, and it's the first two letters in the word Christ. And he saw them transposed like this, and he heard the voice of the Lord say, in this sign, you will conquer. In this sign, go and conquer. In this sign, you will be a conqueror. So he had all of the soldiers in his army paint Kai and Ro like this, superimposed, on their shields. And they marched into battle with this on all their shields. And he, and he made, oh, I've already forgotten the word, uh, it's not Labrador, but something like that. Uh, he made uh, s- standards, flags with this sign, and they marched into battle and just completely crushed the opposition. Uh, ran right over the opposing army, pushed them back into the river. It was a slaughter. Uh, and so for years after that, you know, coins were struck in Constantine's image with this sign on the back. In this sign will you conquer. And the sign of Jesus, in the service of Jesus, but through your faith in Jesus, uh, you will win your victories. That was pretty cool. And, and most of you know, I guess, that Constantine, uh, that's, I, told you, I already told you that part of the story. Constantine in 313, after he had won the battle and became emperor, he uh, signed a letter which has since become the Edict of Milan, known as the Edict of Milan. He issued this letter with uh, some other rulers in the eastern part of the Roman Empire in in which they declared amnesty to Christians across the empire. It wasn't, contrary to popular belief, it wasn't wasn't Constantine who declared uh, the Roman Empire to be a Christian empire. That didn't happen until 380 by some, the next emperor or the next, next emperor. But he 
gave amnesty to Christians, which allowed Christians that had been in prison to be released from jail and all their property that had been confiscated by the state to be returned to them. (coughs) And uh, because he was a Christian, his mother was a Christian. uh, And at some point, uh, I don't think he was actually baptized a Christian until right before he died, but he, he, perf- he, he established the principle that uh, Christians were preferred and respected. But that's interesting. Uh, he also uh, convened the Council of Nicaea <clears throat> because in those days, doctrinally, the church was in chaos. The church had been organized for, you know, 250 years. Uh, there were still a, a lot of different opinions about... How many, how many of you know that, that even in a room this size, if we sat down and kind of took a survey, we would discover, much to our shock, that we don't exactly agree on everything spiritually. We don't exactly agree on certain aspects of doctrine. Uh, and that's, all, that's because some of us are just dumb. And, uh, but it's... Uh, uh, <laughs> but, but this is America. <laughs> uh, there's, it's, just, it's just that there's a lot of stuff to try to figure out. And, but this was the Wild West days of Christianity where, where certain big important things had not really been settled. Number one of which is, are you really sure that Jesus was the Son of God or not? Are you really sure that the Trinity is real? Are you really sure that Jesus wasn't just a guy who was really, 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 really tight with God? <laughs> and, and so God, all of his prayers answered like super fast and God was just on his side all the time. Uh, that was put forth by uh, a priest named Arius. And so it really was turning into a big battle. And so Constantine, who was the emperor at the time, just said... I'm just so sick of this. Can't you guys get your act together? And he called a big council, a place called Nicaea over in Turkey, and brought church, famous church leaders from all around to come and sit down and talk this out. And it was like, I think there were like 300 uh, priests and bishops who attended, and the vote was 298 to 2, saying that Arius was wrong. But Arius voted for himself, and like his brother-in-law voted for him. And everybody else voted that, that the doctrine of Arianism is heresy, and they threw him out of the church. So those are two important things that, that Constantine did. But uh, um, it, in the process of doing a lot of things that were probably good under the circumstances at the time, this series of events that Constantine participated in set some forces in motion that the church honestly and believers honestly have been struggling with uh, and getting lost in ever since. Now, so, and this is important for some other things that God's saying to us is going to be saying to us really soon. Uh, so let me punch this button. You remember, I, I want to remind you of the verse that we've been looking at from the book of Acts for the last couple of weeks. This place where the disciples have, uh, in Jerusalem have sent some people out from Jerusalem to go and preach the gospel to, to other places. And they went to Samaria, which was 
a place where Jews were not popular at all. Um, And Samaritans weren't popular with Jews either. Um, It was worse than putting Longhorns and Aggies in the same place. Uh, They just didn't get along with each other at all. But uh, they sent some uh, evangelists to Samaria and they preached the gospel. They told the story about Jesus. And a bunch of Samaritans got saved. They all accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And they all got baptized. Woohoo! Hooray! And we had a breakthrough. And then the news gets back to Jerusalem. Guess what? You'll never believe this. You'll never, people, Peter, you better be sitting down. You will never believe this. Guess what we just heard? We heard back from Philip and some of the other guys that we set up there. And Philip says that Samaritans are getting saved. They, they accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior and they got baptized. And Peter and John and James instantly said, well, what about the Holy Spirit? Didn't he have received the Holy Spirit? Uh, I don't... Come to think of it, I don't think so. It's like... They all had this little expression on their face like from home alone, you know? And they saddled up their camels and they rode as fast as they could to Samaria because these, because they wanted to make sure the Samaritans had received the Holy Spirit. When we talked about this last week, they began laying hands on them and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. And we talked about this last week. So just remind me, of why was it so important? They, they had confessed with their heart. They had they confessed with their mouth. They had believed with their heart that Jesus was the Christ, and they had been baptized. What is the urgency about getting up there to make sure they receive the Holy Spirit? Because, because, uh, because the whole point of being a Christian is to be filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. The whole point of the Christian life is to have the life of God the same, the same spirit that raised, what's this in Romans 8? The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead now dwells in you. I've been crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20. Nevertheless, I live. Not that, that I'm alive, not, not, not that I'm anything, not that me uh, as, as a flesh and blood person makes any difference at all. I, I've been crucified with Christ. I'm still alive, but the only reason I'm still alive is because... Jesus Christ is living in me. You can repeat a phrase. You can get water sprinkled on you or you can get dipped into water. You can have an intellectual... I mean, there are, there are a lot of people in this world who believe in God, right? I mean, some people don't. But a lot of people in this world believe in God. And a lot of people in this world believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You know that... There is a place in the book of James where, where James says to his audience, so you believe in God. So what? The demons believe in God. The devil believes in God. Just because you, you believe the right things and say the right things doesn't mean you have ended up in the right place. <clears throat> These folks haven't received the Holy Spirit. We gotta, we've got to get... It's a good start, but we've got to get there. We've got to get there right away because 
having the life of God come and fill you, having the power of the Holy Spirit living inside you, the, what I like to always call the, refer to the Holy Spirit as the participating presence and power of God in my life. Having a relationship with, with the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit's job to come and live in Gene, because otherwise Gene has no connection to Jesus. He's just working out of his own intellect. Randy is just working out of his own intellect, his own good intentions. Randy's a nice guy. Raise your hand if you think Randy's a nice guy. Um, pretty close, but all right. <laughs> Randy's a nice guy. Um, being a nice guy isn't enough. And, and we tend to think, well, but I'm a nice person and I tried to do nice things and I tried to do it the nice way. I tried to do it the right way. So I should get brownie points for that, right? And I believe in Jesus and I try to do nice things. No, um, because, um, what does it say in John chapter 15? Apart, abide in me and let me abide in you because apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, without me, outside of me, my presence, the Holy Spirit living and working in you, you can do nothing. The whole point of being a Christian is to have a this active, powerful relationship with Jesus breathing and acting through us, in us, for us, in spite of us sometimes. So the whole point last week was we've got to make sure they have a connection with the Holy Spirit. We've got to make sure that they have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. We have to make sure they receive the Holy Spirit. It's not enough for for their theology to be right and for their doctrine to be right. They've got to have a right relationship with God. Get up there. Hurry, hurry. Get there right away. And so they did. Uh, So remember, we've been talking about this off and on. Our promise that we got from the very beginning of the book of Acts is that you will receive power when you get your doctrine straight. You will receive power when you've memorized the entire Bible. You will receive power when um, you've been baptized three times face down in running water. That, that is actually a, a thing. There's a denomination uh, in America, an offshoot of the German brethren, uh, called the Dunkards. I don't know where they got that name, but the, the whole idea was in, in order to be admitted into their church, you had to be baptized outside, face down, three times in running water, whether it was winter time or not. Crack the stream open, get baptized. Right? So, no, you don't receive that. You receive power only under one set of conditions when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And that will give you the, the ability to speak your story about Jesus to people with miraculous results. That's the promise. So the, the thing that was, I'm positive about this, the thing that caused the church to explode and for everybody to be so excited to go and tell their story about Jesus to all their friends and family and be willing to get on a camel and go to Samaria, the last place on earth where any of those people wanted to be, was because they had had an experience with the Holy Spirit that changed their lives. Not an experience with the church. Not an exp- and so it, was, so it was cool. Obviously cool to see Jesus risen from the dead and hung out with him for a while. Um, but then Jesus went back up into heaven. Why were they still excited? Because every day they were still having a relationship with Jesus. 
You see what I'm saying? Every, Jesus ascended into heaven physically so that, it says in John chapter 14, I've got to go so that the Comforter can come to you, so the Holy Spirit can come to you, so that you can have an experience of me living you, the power of God living in you every day. So you're not just walking around in your own like a poor pathetic loser, bumping into stuff all the time because you don't have any power or any wisdom or any understanding or any direction to do anything. They were excited enough to go to Samaria, not just because Jesus rose from the dead. They were excited because they were still encountering the presence and power of Jesus in their lives right now, in the here and now, in this moment. And they were going to say, have you heard about Jesus? Let me tell you about Jesus. Uh, but don't just take my word for it. Here, I'm going to lay my hands on you. Let the Holy Spirit come upon you. Then you'll know what I'm talking about. I heard a little tiny amen. Amen. Oh. All right. So, <clears throat> that's why they were excited about it. <clears throat> and then along comes Constantine. Number four, Constantine. There are all of these church leaders that were trying to sort this thing out because it was chaos. I mean... There, there needed to be some sort of, of standardization about some things because, you know, even without Facebook to spread ridiculous gossip about everybody all over the place, ridiculous gossip got spread anyhow. And you ever played that old, I don't know, you, you young kids, do y'all still that, play that game called telephone, that little telephone game where you where you whisper and, and, and it starts in, I, Karen tells you something and, and then you tell it to Gene and then Gene uh, tells it to Jonathan and Jonathan tells it to Laura and by the time it gets to Shirley, uh, it's just totally different. Okay, so that's just, that's just a little game and it still gets messed up. Can you imagine people trying to figure out something as astonishing as God coming to the earth in human form, dying, paying for your sins, uh, and then sending the Holy Spirit. And people trying to tell each other about that? So 250 years went by. There was an urgent need for standardization so that um, truth was centralized. So I'm not saying that what Constantine did was a bad thing or some of the great church leaders like Augustine and people like that who came after him. It was important to try to centralize a few things. But in the process of going through this process, people began to put their faith in the process and, and the system. They got a system in place. Let the system work for you. Uh, so what we've got, so it kind of goes like this. So the Romans organized the church and eventually the, the Roman Empire became the Holy Roman Empire and, the Roman Empire became the church. And so, and the church had a bunch of rules. And the, the, the church had a hierarchy and they had all sorts of processes. And, but it boils down to this. The, the, the focus was on the church, less than on the Lord. And the message that came out, that began to be promulgated, was simply this. If you just stay in right relationship with the church, you know, if you practice the sacraments, if you show up, if you do the dues, if you practice the sacraments, then the church has your back. The church will make sure that 
if you stick with the process, the church will make sure that you get to heaven. Uh, you do the right things at the right time in the right way. You go to the priest. You tell the priest uh, what's going on. The church the priest messes you on the head, does whatever stuff he does. <laughs> um, and as, as long as you stay in relationship to the church, we will fix your relationship with God. Oh, and it doesn't hurt to talk to a bunch of saints because uh, they, can, they can help you too. So, all right, so that rattled on for a thousand years or so. And then in 1517, Martin Luther triggered the Reformation because he actually read the Bible and he discovered that that was wrong, that it wasn't by trusting the process, it wasn't by going through the rules, it wasn't by adhering to the standards, it wasn't about having a relationship with the, the church and doing the churchy stuff, it was by, he, he stumbled across this book from, from Habakkuk that said, the just will live by faith. What? The just will live, you'll be justified by your faith. Okay, so he rediscovered this whole notion of faith. And he started spreading out this notion of faith and that you don't have to just, you don't have to play the, by the churchy rules anymore. You need to connect with God. You need to have a relationship with God. You need to put your faith in Jesus directly and, and um, live by faith and not by rules. Uh, that was revolutionary. It was amazing. It was fantastic. It triggered the, Roman, it triggered the Reformation. Uh, and it, but the message came out like this. You stay in right relationship with Jesus through right doctrine. In other words, right doctrine and right theology, that's what gives you your right relationship with God. Which is, it was a little bit of improvement, but no. Um, yes. So Mike is saying that there's a documentary on Netflix right now about the life of Martin Luther. That's really, really good. And apparently says this better than I can say it, so you should probably all... Yeah. So, so anyhow, so the shift went from, okay, staying in right relationship to the church to staying in right relationship to your doctrine and your theology. And because we already know how hard it is to get people to stay in agreement about anything. What this led to was it fractured one misguided church into hundreds of misguided churches, thousands of misguided denominations, all of which started drawing lines and fences because um, I don't agree with you about one little aspect of your doctrine or one little aspect of your denominational theology. And as we all know, because this is what Martin Luther taught us, having right doctrine and right theology is what keeps you in right relationship with Jesus. And so it, what we now have today in the church is a bunch of people who are still fractured and separated from God. Even though they're believing the right stuff, and showing up at the right time in the right places. But one humongous principle 
has consistently gets ignored. Because, you know, um, go back to the Samaritans. We've already talked about this. Why was it important for the Samaritans to receive the Holy Spirit? Even though they had taken correct actions and that they had the right doctrine and the right theology, they had done all the right things, but they still lacked a relationship with the source of life. And look at this. The Holy Spirit just kind of reminded me this morning. If you have right doctrine without a life-giving relationship, what does that make you? A Pharisee. If your, if your faith and your focus is on making sure that, that you have refined your doctrine and theology to as perfect as it can possibly be, but you, you are not united in love with the Father by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, then you're a Pharisee. A Pharisee is nothing more than a very, very, very sincere person who had dedicated their lives to never being wrong about anything because they were afraid that if they were wrong about something that God would drop a piano on them. And they didn't want God to be, they didn't want to be punished by God anymore if they, because they accidentally did something wrong or believed something wrong. And so Peter and James and all the guys uh, and the, the, the elders at the Church of Jerusalem heard about the Samaritans getting saved and they were like, oh my goodness. We've got to get up there right away and make sure that they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. Because I, we don't want to... We, we, don't know, we don't want to have turned a bunch of Samaritans into Samaritan slash Pharisees. Uh, they need to have the joy of the Lord. They need to have the freedom and the hope and the power and the presence of Jesus in their lives. Okay, so... Um, I thought I punched the button. So, let me read you this. Paul has some really powerful stuff to say here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting with verse 11. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people. I don't know who Chloe's people were, but apparently there's a person named Chloe and she had people. I've been talking to Chloe, and she's got people. And her people have been talking to other people. (laughs) I've been informed by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you. Now, I I mean this, that each one of you is saying, well, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Well, I am a Baptist. Well, I am an assembly of God. I am a non-denominationalist. I am a Presbyterian. I am uh, a Greek Orthodox. I am, that's what I am. I am blah, 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 blah. And Paul said, I am so glad that I didn't baptize any of you. Listen, has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I didn't baptize none of you, well, except for Crispus and and Gaius, so that no one would say that you were baptized in my name. Oh, now wait, I did baptize the household of Stephanas. But beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anybody else. But because I wasn't trying to baptize people. I wasn't trying to start a church. I wasn't trying to start a club. I wasn't trying to start a movement. I was just here to tell you about Jesus. 
Christ did not send me to baptize. He, came, he sent me to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. I just wanted you to know about Jesus. I just wanted you to have a relationship with Jesus. But even as far back as Paul writing the book of 1 Corinthians, which is mm, 55-ish, the church was already splitting up over issues around doctrine. Because that's what we like to do. We like to, fight, to come up with some kind of external standard that says we've got it right. That we're, so we can give ourselves a grade. Uh, so I kept this and this and this and this and this rules today. A plus, Jackie, you did a great job. You're a good Christian today. Uh, and you believe this and this and this and this. And you did this, this and this. Congratulations. High five. And, and I'm, a, I'm a disciple of Paul because Paul has the best doctrine. So I'm, I'm a member of, of the Paul uh, Baptist Holiness Church. I, I don't know. He, we, we like things that, that feel more tangible. And uh, Paul said, that's just so wrong. I just want you to know Jesus. I just want you to have a connection with Jesus. I just want you to have a relationship with Jesus because I can't, I'm so sick and tired of trying to straighten you out. I just want you to have a relation with Jesus and let him straighten you out. So we have to make up our minds. This was the reason they wanted people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because even now today, we have to choose between law and or life. A couple of cool verses here. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Listen to this. Put your, turn up your hearing aids. Uh, Such confidence we have through Christ towards God, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Our adequacy is from God. Can we, can we all say this together? Our adequacy is from God. Again, our adequacy is from God. Turn around and, and look at somebody around you and say, listen here, your adequacy is from God. Your adequacy is from God. How many of you have experiences in your life where you feel inadequate? Raise your hand if you've ever felt inadequate about anything. You're normal. Congratulations. Look at somebody and say, you're normal. You're normal. You're normal. Because why? Because where does our adequacy come from? From God. From God. Our adequacy comes from God. There's not a thing God wants from you at all except to just let him be adequate in you, to be sufficient in you through his presence and through his power. So uh, our adequacy is from God. Who also, Look at this. God made us adequate. God has made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives what? Life. 
the letter, the rules, the legalist, all of that stuff without the presence of the Holy Spirit is just death. It crushes your faith, it crushes your hope, it reinforces your guilt, it magnifies your shame, it, it drives your fear. If all you're doing is looking at the letter of the law, because there are plenty of rules that the devil wants to use to, to run our lives. But it, all has, it only makes sense, it only has context through your relationship with the Holy Spirit who knows what you need and when you need it. Yes? Well, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 4. The Spirit gives life. I want you to say that to yourself. The Spirit gives life. The Spirit gives life. Why did the church of Jerusalem want the people in, in Samaria to receive the Holy Spirit? This is pretty simple now, isn't it? Why did they want them to receive the Holy Spirit? Because the Spirit gives life. Wouldn't you want for everybody that you know and love to receive the Holy Spirit? Because the Spirit gives life. Wouldn't you want to be walking as consciously and as submittedly as possible to the Holy Spirit in your daily life? Because the Spirit gives life. You, you aren't adequate in yourselves for anything. God makes you adequate by the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. One more little piece there, uh, and they're just going to be done. We jump down the same chapter 13, I mean, <laughs> chapter 4 of, no, I'm sorry. We're, we're in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 4, and now we're jumping to verse 17, where it wraps up, he wraps up with this. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Anybody want to know what the Holy Spirit is? The Holy, the Holy Spirit is the Lord. The Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Freedom! We have to do that together, like on the movie. Freedom! Uh, the Spirit of the Lord, or the Spirit of the Lord is, you know, they can take your cell phones but they can never take your freedom, all right? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom from fear. Freedom from shame. Freedom from helplessness. Freedom from hopelessness. Freedom from anger. Freedom from bitterness. And then you can just say over and over and over again, freedom from fear, freedom from fear, freedom from fear, freedom from fear. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, the Spirit of the Lord is in your heart, you have life and you have freedom. All right, so, you know, I'm just, I'm just kind of ranting now, but um, let's remind you of this because I don't remind, haven't reminded you about this enough lately. Our relationship with Jesus through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit brings us life and brings us freedom. When you have a relationship with Jesus through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, then and only then, finally, 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 then and only then do these promises make sense. In Jesus, you are deeply loved by God. 
you are fully accepted by God. You are completely and permanently forgiven by God. You are lavishly blessed by God and you are eternally perfectly embraced by God as his child, a child who brings him unspeakable joy. I'm not running, I'm not pushing past this. I'm not in any hurry to get past this concept because I think as believers today, this is where we stand or fall. This is where we fail. Uh, This is where our weakness is exposed. We have an opportunity once again today to just collapse into the arms of the Father and to be renewed and restored in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know what it is that, that you are crying out when you were crying out, Jesus Christ, Son of David, have mercy on me earlier, <laughs> earlier today. I don't know what that was about, but I do know this. The only solution, the only answer it comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has the answer. The Holy Spirit has the power. The Holy Spirit has the plan. The Holy Spirit is who will make you adequate for whatever it is that you need to be made adequate in. And we take one step away from that, just like Constantine did, just like, if not Martin Luther, then the people who came after Martin Luther. You take one step away from this central focus. The Holy Spirit is a big guy. The Holy Spirit is perfectly able to regulate and restore and direct and provide and fix whatever needs to be fixed in you or around you. And if your doctrine is is gone crazy, he can snap you back in line. Uh, God God knows what's important and he will convict you uh, of what you need to believe and how you need to act. Uh, I trust God that if I'm getting too far off a field in some area, as I read his word and as I stay in fellowship with other believers, he will pull me back to whatever the doctrine of balance is that I need to have. But in the meantime, it's all done by him. Whatever needs you have that need to be met are going to be met by him. Whatever plan you need to have is going to be his plan. Whatever deliverance you need is going to be his deliverance. Uh, And he answers Simple prayers like, Jesus Christ, Son of David, have mercy on me. Because that leaves the field wide open for his power to come in and do what needs to be done. In you, with you, for you. All right, so as we continue to fumble our way through the book of Acts, um, we're going to learn how to apply this principle. To live and the life and liberty of the Holy Spirit. Because if it was important back then, it's definitely important today. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, Son of David, thank you for having mercy on us today. Thank you for having mercy on me today. And Lord, that thing that I cried out for you about earlier, I'm trusting you today. 
I'm trusting you to be adequate. I'm trusting you to be powerful. I'm trusting you to meet every need in ways that will give you glory. I'm trusting you, Lord, to keep me focused on the thing that's most important, which is to stay focused on you so that your life can be revealed in me. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.